Well, good morning to each of you. It's a, it's a privilege to be here, a blessing, and um, I'm just thankful to, to be here and worship with you guys. And uh, I'd ask you to go ahead and be turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to continue in the series I've been preaching through on the Sermon on the Mount. It's been over a year now since I started going through the Sermon on the Mount here and uh, we're, we're at uh, verse 33. We're going to be looking at verses 33 through 37. And uh, I've titled this message, To Tell the Truth. Let's go ahead and read the, read the scripture here so we know what we're dealing with. Again, you have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black, but let your communication be, yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil." Let's, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, you, um, you are watching over us now. And I thank you for this, Lord. You have promised and that we know that you cannot lie, that you tell the truth. And you have said that we're two or more gathered. There you are in the midst. So we, we believe this, not based on any miraculous sign or wonder, but simply on taking you at your word because your word is absolute. This word that's been read today here and this word that we're going to look at and and, um, that I'm going to preach on, Lord, I pray you'd help us to understand and teach us, Lord, uh, your holiness and your righteousness through it. And I pray, Lord God, that uh, your truth would abound in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is the fourth in a series of six doctrinal corrections, or we could say doctrinal restorations that the Lord Jesus is dealing with here, uh, where six times he is saying, you have heard that it said, but I say. You have heard this, but I say. He's correcting these false interpretations that the religious elite, the Pharisees, had uh, had taught. Um, And this is explained less specific and in more broad terms but also more directly in Matthew fifteen nine, uh, where he says, But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. In other words, they had exchanged the, the doctrines, the teaching of, of God and his word for the traditions and the commandments of men. And this was to cover up their shortfalls of righteousness. Um, this way they could set their own standard of what's good and then they could meet it instead of following God's standard. When the Bible teaches on the matter of our tongue and speech, we ought to pay extremely close attention. Uh, we, We should more carefully consider it and be concerned of the matter because James 3, 2 says this, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. 
Matthew 12, 34 says, O generations of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. James 3, going back to James 3, verse 5 through 6. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. This is the issue with the tongue. This is the importance of how we speak, of our speech, and how we communicate to one another. This is extremely important in our day and age. Let me read another one that just emphasizes the importance on this teaching. Romans 3, 13 through 14. The, the great indictment chapter where the, all of humanity comes under uh, the guilt of the law. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. This is speaking of us, how man is a known liar. You don't have to be a rocket science to know that. Um, we know that man is a liar. We see it. The politicians, they lie. Um, the media lies. Everyone lies. The whole, our whole world system is built on lies. If we could go, if we could somehow make it to where everyone on planet Earth had to tell the truth for a 24-hour period, the entire system would collapse because it's all built on lies. Um, so this is the indictment. And, and this where it says their throat is an open sepulcher, it's comparing the throat of man to an open grave. You know, when, when someone dies, uh, we dig a hole, we bury them. We don't leave the hole uncovered. We want to cover up the, the rot and the stench from the corpse that's inside the ground, so we, we put dirt over top of it to cover that up. Well, the Apostle Paul here, through the Holy Spirit, is saying your throat is like the exposing the rotting corpse of your heart. And lies are spewing out, and the stench and the decay of your dead heart is spewing out. It's an open grave. The poison of asps is under the asps is a fancy word for a wasp. It stings. We can't trust in man. We can't trust in his words. He's a known liar. On the positive side, Romans ten nine, the importance of our our words. Romans ten nine through ten, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What we say matters, and it shows like Jesus was talking about in that other verse I read from uh, what was that. Matthew 12, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So, and there are many other scriptures that have to do with the tongue, but the point that I'm trying to emphasize and get across here in these examples is how important the matter is uh, that the Lord Jesus is dealing with here this morning. That, it, that the things we say truly matters. 
The great theologian Martin Lloyd-Jones said that we may ask that with all the problems going on in the world and all the things that we Christians have to battle, is it really a high priority to be so concerned with how we speak and what we say, even with little things? He says, according to the Bible, everything that a Christian does is most important because of what he is and because of his effect upon others. We are all being watched, and therefore everything we do is of tremendous importance. We have to remember that one of the ways people become Christians is they observe Christian people. And so, this is a high-level priority that we're dealing with here. The teaching that the Lord Jesus is presenting us with is of vital importance If we can't trust each other, everything breaks down. We have total chaos. Indeed, we have such tremendous chaos in our society today because people's word proves unreliable, often malicious and untruthful. Somebody tells you they're going to do something and you don't know if they're really going to follow through with it. You can't make plans because people are so feeble in keeping the truth and keeping what they say. Our society is summed up as one of systematic lying. Like I said, it's, it's, the system is built on it. And without truth, we have nothing. We have nothing in the material realm or spiritual. Truth must be what we're about as Christians. It must be the center of everything we're about. Truth, a love of truth, a steadfastness for truth, knowing that truth has a name according to John 14, I am the truth, Jesus said. We have to be about truth. We have a society today that is basically made truth an abstract thing. These college kids are taught on university that truth is unknowable, that truth is fluid, that your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth, and whatever suits you is just fine, and that's not true. There's no diversity of truth. There's one truth, and everything else is a fallacy. And we know who that one truth is. I say it again. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the truth, and so we have to be about the truth. Let's look at the Scripture and magnify it here. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. Now this was a teaching that the people were under, and what the Pharisees were upholding. But this is not the teaching of the Old Testament law. These exact words are never found in the Old Testament anywhere. But what it is is a composite of different commands in the law that they have mashed up together and they had determined that this was the way to follow those commands and it it wasn't because what the Pharisees had done and what we do is their standard was too low. They brought it down so that they could keep it and then say that they were good. So this was not the teaching of the Old Testament where he says, You have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. 
Jesus is not detracting from the Old Testament. He's not, um, he's not saying that what that commandment was wrong because that's not what it was. That was the Pharisaical teaching. And he's saying, but I say unto you. This was derived from a misinterpretation of the law. So let's look at what the law actually says uh, regarding oaths and forswearing. Now, we have to keep in mind that the, the Pharisees are experts in the law. They're, they knew what the Scripture said. Uh, so they would have known exactly what the Scripture was saying about oaths. So they certainly knew it. The problem was, is they only had an external perspective. They were missing, they, they never got to the issue of the heart. They were missing the heart issue. And that was what it was all about. The, the, the law pointed to righteousness. The gospel points to righteousness. And they were missing that it is an internal righteousness that's needed, not just to look the part. And we'll see that more as we go along here. Um, but that's the issue. And really, friends... Um, this is what the whole Sermon on the Mount is dealing with, is true righteousness. So let's have a little bit of review here from all, of the, all that we've come through on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is presenting the holy standard of righteousness. And at the end of chapter 5, he says, Be perfect, for your Father in heaven is perfect. But we're not. Does that mean he's expecting us to be perfect? Well, we're certainly, as Christians, to strive for holiness and perfection. But it's not perfection, it's direction. But he's pointing to this, and this is the emphasis, is because he's saying you fall short of this standard. Stop trying to make for yourself your own standard and realize what God's standard is. And then he gives the hope of put on the Lord Jesus Christ in Romans 13. Put on his righteousness. He wants to give you his own righteousness. But we, and just like the Pharisees did, we squabbled around and tried to invent for ourselves ways to be righteous, and so they twisted the teaching. And Jesus comes in and corrects it. So that's what's going on here. Let's look at the Old Testament Scriptures. Deuteronomy 6.13 says this, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. In other words, not by a false God. There's a command right there. To, when, you, when you make an oath, swear by his name. Not by something that's nothing, but by something that means something. Okay, let's continue on. Leviticus 19.12 And ye shall not swear by my name falsely, Neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. Let's look at the third commandment, Exodus 20. Just been going through all that with the children's catechism there. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Now you can look at this in many different ways. I believe taking the name of the Lord in vain is blaspheming God, using God's name as a curse word. I believe it's taking the name of Christ in a false confession, claiming to be a Christian but refusing to live according to the teachings of Christ, going your own way and then saying, yeah, I'm a Christian. 
I believe it's also not taking God seriously and not reverencing how holy His name is. And these are connected to false, uh, swearing by His name falsely, perjury. So the law does permit oaths. And the reason for this is, is easy. It's to restrain man's proneness to lying. It's a similar case with divorce, you see. Moses permitted divorce, didn't he? Because it had to be dealt with. They, they, they were, it was a restraint on man's sin. They were just divorcing for whatever reason. Jesus dealt with that in the last time that I was preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. They said, well, we're righteous because we, we divorce, but we do the paperwork. As long as we do the paperwork, we're good. And he's saying, no, when you divorce, you're making everybody an adulterer, everybody involved. So in a similar way, but not exactly the same, because the Old Testament does permit oaths, and we still do oaths today. But it's to restrain man's proneness to lying. God understands that we're sinful and that we're prone to lie. It's a restraint. And, allow, and, and, and to allow a society to function and for people to be able to carry on in daily life. Because if you don't have something uh, to be able to bind somebody contractually, you can't do business. You can't have relationships. If everyone's just lying all the time, everything breaks down and is gone. You can't, have, you can't even function in daily life. So the issue that Moses had to deal with when the law was given is the same that we have to deal with now. That there is so much lying that life had become chaotic because men could not rely upon one another's word. So oaths were instituted. An oath is simply... To certify one's statement, thus allowing it to carry more weight. And we do this today in courts of law. Uh, oaths are taken in holy bonds of marriage, an oath of promise. You're, you're, you're taking an oath before God. You're promising that you're going to stay with that person, that you're going to through thick and thin. Often a type of oath is taken when one makes a large purchase. When you buy a house or something, you sign. And if you watch and look what you sign, it, it, a lot of times it says, I certify this. You're promising you're going to pay. So oaths are useful in a society where people are lost outside of Christ, under the curse, and therefore prone to lying. An oath certifies the statement or promise and makes it more clear and carries more weight because there is usually a punishment when one breaks an oath. Oaths are taken when one joins the military. You take an oath, you raise your right hand, I promise to defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies foreign and domestic. That's an oath. You're certifying. You're, you're, you're certifying what you say. And, and, and more importantly than that, you're recognizing and you're calling God to be a witness that, God, I have said this and I'm going to fulfill it. An oath is also a reminder that God sees everything, that He knows what you have said. And this was something that um, 
was in the Old Testament. And I'm going to show you later that also the apostles took oaths. This word forswear means to swear falsely. To swear falsely. Perjury. We can say it like that. It's to lie under oath, to make a liar of oneself. The Greek word, which is epiokio, agrees totally with this. It agrees with that definition. So here Jesus is bringing the proper standard of righteousness back and setting it up on full display. Just as in every case we've looked at, at at the Pharisees and every single one of these things where Jesus has said, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. You've heard it said, but I say unto you. In every case, they had created their own standard so that they could pretend to be righteous and look good and feel good. And before you point the finger at the Pharisees, we're prone to this. We often diminish the Word of God. We diminish the commands of God so that we can feel like we're meeting it. They said that they were good because they did not commit physical, the physical act of murder. Jesus said, but you hate your brother without a cause and slander your brother, therefore you're guilty. They said, we are good, we don't commit adultery. Jesus said, your heart is full of adultery because you look with lust, thus you're guilty of adultery on the inside. They said, we are good because even though we get divorced all the time, whenever we want, we make sure to always do the proper paperwork. Jesus said, look back at what God said about marriage. And every time you get divorced, you're making everyone involved guilty of adultery. And here they say, we are good because we tell the truth and we keep our oaths. And Jesus says, you're liars to the very core. And the Lord explains how they're liars more so in Matthew 23. Let's go there now to Matthew 23, verses 16 through 26 we'll be looking at. Woe unto you, you blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold. And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. But whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon upon it, he is guilty. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift. Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it and by all things thereon. Whoso shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it and by him that dwelleth therein. And he that, swear, he that shall swear by heaven sweareth by the throne of God, and by him that sitteth thereon. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Judgment, mercy, and faith, these ought ye have to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel, 
Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. We see the main issue that's at hand there. Counterfeit righteousness. We're going to revisit this passage later, but I just want to point out, Jesus is giving, this this is a scathing rebuke. Entire chapter 23 of Matthew is a scathing rebuke on the Pharisees. And Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that Jesus giving this rebuke here, because there's so much lying going on in our society, and oftentimes we don't know what to believe or who's telling the truth or what's going on here. We don't make rebukes like that against lies like Jesus did. In fact, we almost, in our modern Christian thinking, we almost condemn the Lord Jesus for speaking like this. We think he's being too harsh. He's calling out these lies. He's calling them fools and hypocrites. He says, woe to them. Because he knows the truth and he knows they're not of it. And he's not doing it for meanness. He's doing it to set the record straight. And there at the end he says, Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within, within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. So there is sort of an invitation. But when we play around with the lies and try to make people feel comfortable in the lies, we're not doing them any favors. We need to sometimes have a manly approach to the truth. I heard it said one time, uh, it was by Vody Bauckham. He said this, he said, Christians have almost invented an 11th commandment. It says to be nice, and then we forget the other 10. Well, Jesus is pointing out the main issue here, and it's counterfeit righteousness. Their teachings had portrayed a type of righteousness that wasn't up to God's standard. And so among other things, he gives this scathing rebuke, and Jesus speaks of their oaths there that we see um, in verses um, 16 beginning in verse 16 and going on to verse 20. And so within the framework and the context of the purpose of oaths given in the Old Testament Scriptures is the principle that oaths are not to be taken lightly. They're to be taken very seriously. We're not to take oaths regarding common things. Indeed, oaths were not meant to be common. but to be a special thing, to certify a statement, to call God as a witness to this thing that I am saying, to hold me to an account. But the Pharisees were swearing oaths all the time about trivial things. They had, in effect, undermined the whole process, and then it became just worthless. Taking an oath was to be a solemn thing, to remind the person 
that what you're saying and everything you're doing is under the eye of God. And when the oath was taken, or when the oath was taken was so common in trivial matters, it illustrates that your word has little substance anyway. And little weight. You're such a liar that in order to get someone to believe you, you have to swear an oath about everything you say. That's what he was pointing at. He's saying you shouldn't have to be like that. Your, your yes ought to carry some weight. Your no ought to mean something. But in order to get someone to trust you, you even have to take an oath on small matters. Like, honey, I've, I promise, I swear, I'll take the trash out. I mean, this is the kind of stuff we're dealing with here. Because their word had become so untrustworthy. And they thought the remedy to that was just make everything an oath. And this is the point Jesus is making in verse 37. Back to Matthew uh, chapter 5. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For anything else is cometh of evil. Your speech should be yes, no, for whatsoever is more cometh of evil. We, as Christians, ought to have a solid, trustworthy weight to our words. We must be the ones that when we say we're going to be somewhere, we say we're going to do something, if I say to a brother, uh, yes, I'll do this thing, he knows, hey, Terry's going to do it. He said he would. He has that reputation. When we make a claim on a matter, the people around us should know without question he's telling the truth because this is the character of our God. He's a God who never lies, and we call him Father. He always keeps his promises. His words are true always, 100%. God's Word is solid, solid, and so ours must be. We we have to recognize who God's character is on this matter and adjust our character accordingly. It's not to say that... um, you know, as soon as you're saved, you're, you're, you're a perfect person. It's a process of sanctification. There's things you go through. But you need to be in the process and stop making excuses and saying, you know, whatever. I want you to know that this, this was a blessing to me to prepare for because I'm preaching this to myself. I mean... Uh, George Whitfield said that. He said, he who preaches the gospel preaches first to himself. And um, we need this. I need this. When we have to start swearing and taking oaths on every little thing, it's evil. That's evil. And of the devil, because the devil is the father of lies. Who's our father? The father of lies or the father of truth? Another thing they were doing to undermine oaths that we saw there back in Matthew 23 is they were making a distinction uh, between various oaths, 
saying that some were binding and others were not. Verses 16 through 20. Let me look at that again. Woe unto you, you blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold? And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. But whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift? Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it and all things thereon. They had a low view of the whole process of taking an oath. They started making distinctions. Well, if you swear by this, that's better than if you swear by that. Oh, you just swore by that? Okay, well, it's not that big a deal. You broke it. They had said the temple is nothing. But the gold of the temple, now, that's something. That's everything. The altar, nothing. But the gift on the altar, now that means something. This is the distinguish. This is what they had made as a distinguishing factor. We can see where their heart was in doing this, can't we? In this whole thing, amidst all this, truth becomes something of low degree. They didn't value truth. Our society doesn't value truth. Not at all. Plato said this. He said, The man who tells the truth is the most hated one in the room. They didn't value truth. We're back at this same place. We're living amongst a society that doesn't value truth. This is one of the reasons why the Scripture tells us not to be yoked together with an unbeliever. You know, I preached on that last time. Uh, It doesn't mean we're not supposed to associate or have nothing to do with the world. We're supposed to reach out to them with the gospel. But at the same time, we as Christian brethren and and, and sisters, we got to be able to trust each other. We're in this together. We're in it together, and we're living in a world that doesn't value truth. We have to. We have to go against them on this and fight this sea of lies with everything we've got. Truth became something of low degree, and Jesus is lifting it back up. It wasn't something of great value. But a man is nothing without his word. And our world is pure chaos when truth is diminished. I'd say that's the one thing, the one factor that's causing all of the, 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 the problems and suffering is a lack of truth. Jesus is not teaching a ban on oaths here. It's the... Uh, the A lot of misunderstanding regarding the Sermon on the Mount. There's been countless books written on the Sermon on the Mount. A lot of misinterpretation, misunderstanding. The Society of Friends, uh, also known as the Quakers of Pennsylvania. They had a very, uh, they're totally pacifist, number one. But they also had, they, they took this scripture to mean they would never take an oath no matter what. 
You put them before a judge, a court of law, they would refuse to take an oath. Because they're saying, they believe that Jesus is saying a ban on all oaths, and that's not true. This is why it's so important we got to have the full counsel of God. People build doctrines off of cherry-picking scriptures, and they say this is, this is what it is or that's what it is because they take the one scripture and let it stand alone. You've got to have the full counsel of God. This is why I love expository preaching because we are forced to deal with the scripture as they come in its full context. So we've got to examine what the Bible says on the matter. It's not a ban on all oaths. For we know that from the Old Testament, some of the great men of God, holy men of God, took oaths. Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, David all swore oaths. The Apostle Paul swore an oath in Romans 9.1 where he says this, now listen, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Ghost. I want you to notice something there in what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 9.1. In his defense, he's invoking the name of God two times. He's saying, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not, my conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Ghost. He invokes the name of God to certify his statements. God knows that we are sinners. It's not, a, it's not a news flash to Him. And that in certain important situations, swearing an oath may be needful because we're living in a sea of lies. Now here's this one. Let's turn there to Hebrews 6.16. God Himself makes an oath here. Hebrews 6, verse 16. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of His counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. We see there how men must swear by the greater. And this had to do with you know, the, the commandment in the Old Testament, going back to the Leviticus passage. And ye shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. In the Deuteronomy passage, thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve Him and shalt swear by His name. Because that's when it really matters. So the men have to, men have to swear by the greater, it says. Not by something trivial. That is, they have to swear by God. Otherwise, 
the oath is nothing. And really, it's only, again, it's only a reminder to us that God sees everything and is a witness to our promise. You know, that's true even if you don't make the oath. That's the point Jesus is making. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. But to remind you of it, maybe there needs to be an oath there. But that God, it says here in this, in this verse in Hebrews 6, God must only swear by Himself because there is nothing greater. Well, you see the phrase often repeated in the Bible, As I surely live, thus saith the Lord. And then He says, I'm going to do this. Or I'm going to do that. And God does not even need to make oaths. Because His word is always true, but that See, the thing is, is He does acquiesce to us to meet us on our level. That's part of the love of God. Knowing that we're prone to distrust. So He reveals His truth to us in, 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 in multiple ways. His, the immutability of His Word there is on full display. We see it in all of the prophecies that were proclaimed about Jesus, he fulfilled them. You can tell uh, the test for a true prophet is whether he says something and it comes true. And the Bible has a flawless record on prophecy. Therefore, we can trust it. So when we're in the midst in this world we live in, in the sea of lies, we have an anchor of truth that we know we can trust. God meets us on our level. What Jesus is teaching about this in Matthew 5, 34, 36, where he says, <clears throat> But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of of the great king, neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. It is that we should be the kind of people that don't need to take oaths. When a brother asks me of something, my word should mean simply what I say. When I say it is yes or no, then they should be able to have confidence. And what I'm saying. I should be able to have confidence in what you're saying. Perfect righteousness needs no certification. It's a matter of the heart. That's the holy standard is perfection. Nothing short of perfection enters God's presence. That's what's required to be in heaven. That's what's required to be a part of God's kingdom. Perfect righteousness. Therefore, when I say something in perfect righteousness, it doesn't need a certification. You know it's true. Jesus, when he says something, he doesn't have to go through all this trouble. We know that it's true because we trust in him. Our faith is in him. And when we're in a situation where we must swear an oath, we need to know how serious this is. That's the serious of it. He's saying, he's saying look, the earth is God's footstool. Jerusalem is the city of the great king.
We don't take these things lightly. That's the point. Knowing how serious it is. And the only thing to swear by is God, not vain things like false idols, temple gold, or altar gifts. You're calling God to witness. And He, for a certainty, takes it serious. He takes these things serious. When we take an oath, you know, people, people even get married today and they say, well, if it don't work out, I'll just get a divorce. That's an oath. You're taking an oath before that person. And God takes it seriously. And we need to be a people who understands it. And we need to shout this from the rooftops because if you don't take truth seriously, you're on the way to destruction. There's no way around it. You can't have a society that functions like that. You can't have a family that functions like that. Nothing works without truth. And so this is why it's so important. Lastly, the whole thing within the context of the Sermon on the Mount, as I said before, is the righteousness deficit that we have. We can't be like the Pharisees and say, well, I know I don't, I don't do it exactly like that, but man, at least I do the paperwork. Or I've never actually committed adultery or murder. You know, I think I'm pretty good. I deserve, I deserve God's grace. No. The whole, we need to consider this whole matter that Jesus is talking about. It's righteous, the righteousness deficit that we have and our need for the Savior. Swearing oaths like they did and saying that you're righteous because you kept this little oath that you made. Like I said, I swear, honey, to take the trash out. And then you do it and say, man, I'm good. I fulfilled that oath. That's not God's standard of righteousness. The very fact that you make an oath on such a trivial matter shows you have a lying heart and you diminish truth. It's not even something important to you. It's almost like it's in your way to have to tell the truth. This is a picture of who we really are. And Jesus doesn't pull any punches here. The holy God requires perfect truth, simple truth. And you need me for that, Jesus tells us. So while, yes, this word of the Lord here in Matthew 5 does exhort us to be people of truth, it does exhort us to refrain from lying lips. It does admonish us to steer clear of lies, to test what people say, to, hey, when you take an oath, to be serious about it. It is saying these things. But there is a more deeper thing that this is saying here too. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount is not a list of moral attributes or some kind of um, uh, a, a moral game plan for us to follow and therefore it makes us Christians. That's not what it is. People get that confused. The Sermon on the Mount is simply God's standard of righteousness. It's saying, look, Jesus, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, we know that this is the Gospel of the King the kingship of Jesus Christ. Whereas the Gospel of John portrays him as God. Matthew portrays him as the king. He's the Messiah, the king. And, he, and this whole sermon is saying, 
To be in my kingdom, you've got to be like this. To be, my, my, my kingdom is a perfect kingdom with perfect righteousness, with perfect truth. And he is, you know, blasting the Pharisees and, and everyone else that has this self-righteousness inside. Now, you may not say it, but if you're like me, how I used to be, you'll think it. You'll think, I'm pretty good, you know. Compared to what? Not God's standard. It's perfection. You see, we compare ourselves to other people. That's what they were doing. The Pharisees looked down their nose at everybody because they had kept these little piddly oaths. They looked down at everybody and they said, We're righteous. And Jesus, He shows them that by the true standard of, of God's holy word, you're a liar. So yes, the Sermon on the Mount is all these things, but the Sermon on the Mount is this picture of righteousness. And here we see the gospel. It's the character of those within the kingdom of God. But this is also the call of the gospel to turn away from lying lips and come to the Lord Jesus. Don't you see how desperately you need Him here? There's not one of us in here that has not lied or that has been this kind of truthful. Not one of us. And we desperately need Him because lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 12, 22. All liars will have their part in the lake of fire. Revelation 21. That lying really gets God's goat. It is serious. We desperately need the Lord Jesus here. The only one who can cleanse us from the lies and bathe us in the truth. And he says there in John 15, I believe, if you continue in my word, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Lies make you slaves. Lies make you a slave. Believing the lie, people just going along and believing the lie, it makes them slaves. In some form or fashion. Jesus said, who sins is a slave to sin. Part of sin, part of walking in sin is walking in lies. The two things go together. You can't walk in truth and walk in, or you can't walk in lies and walk in righteousness. You can't be in the truth and be uh, under lies. All this time, throughout this sermon that Jesus is giving, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying, you are not good. Now, I know that on the surface, we agree with that. We say, I, I know, I'm not good. I mean, but something inside us, we harbor this like, you know, we want, to, we, we want 
to feel good. We want to, we want to feel we, this pride that comes over. There's always this little bit that's harboring, so we need to be reminded of this. All this time, he's saying, you're not good. You need me. You need a Savior. And this is the call of the gospel. He doesn't just leave it there, does he? He doesn't just say, you're not good, you're hopelessly lost, goodbye. That's not what he does. He says, you're not good. He leaves them. It's like what he says to the Pharisees back in Matthew 23. Look here once again. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Righteousness comes from the inside out, not the outside in. It doesn't mean that the outside doesn't matter, you see. You know, we have, we have people like that too, don't we? In the Christian realm, in the modern evangelical realm, they just, they say, man, I'm, I, it's all spiritualized, you see. So they say it doesn't matter how I dress, it doesn't matter how I look. They just, man, they just go with the flow and they say, well, I'm a Christian. No, the outside does matter, but it's not as important as the inside. The righteousness should flow from the heart that's been cleansed by the Lord Jesus, and then it, it, it manifests itself on the outside. But there are many people who, look, who do a great job, and the Pharisees are one of them, that looked good on the outside, but the inside they weren't. And if you look closely, see, you can tell, and that's what Jesus was pointing out. He said, you make these distinctions between oaths. You're saying that um, you, know, you can just take an oath for any old reason. Don't you see? It's because you're, you're liars. So you've got to take an oath all the time. This wasn't God's way, he said. Just like with divorce we talked about last time. You're saying that you know, you're just... Technically, you're fulfilling the law because you said, I did the paperwork. And we talked about, hey, yes, that was something they had to do because uh, that was a restraint on divorce as well, the paperwork, because they had to, if they didn't, they just walked in and out of marriage like it was nothing. So God came in. He said, well, if they're going to do this, you know, here's the restraint. But Jesus points out it wasn't like this from the beginning. He said, that's not what God had in mind. And what God has in mind is really not for us to have to take oaths. But the outside is not the most important. It's the inside. The inside's got to be cleansed. And you don't have any way to do that. What's within your power? To dress up the outside? To post up just what you want on Facebook for people to see, right? So they can just see what's good going on in your life and think, man, that guy's got it together. But that's not reality, man. Jesus knows the reality. It's inside. And he's saying that's got to be cleansed. Now you, you can do a lot to cleanse the outside, but you can't do nothing about the inside. It takes the power of God for that. But by the power of God, he bids you to come. Matthew 11. Come to me, all you weary and heavy laden. Now this is a, a, a call to people who... They're worn out by sin. They're tired of the lies. They're tired of being a part of it. They're tired of playing the game of the world system. 
but the one who is the self-righteous, who is just happy with the system the way it is, they're hard to reach. And so what does Romans 3 say at the end? It breaks through the proud heart. I would try to quote it for y'all, but I don't want to mess it up. Verse uh, chapter three, verse nineteen. Now we know that what things over the law saith is said to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world become guilty before God. That's the purpose of the law to stop your mouth, to stop the to stop you thinking that you're good, and suggest what that's the point. And so, I hope and pray that you'll see your need for Him in this matter. You'll see your need to uphold the truth as a Christian. You'll see your need to make serious the things that we say and the promises that we make because our God is a God of truth and we honor Him when we obey that. But I hope most of all, for those of you here that are walking in the sea of lies outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, I hope and pray you'll see your need for Him in this. God bless you. And let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for this, um, this Word. Uh, this, your Word, it is just so beautiful and so wonderful, perfect in, in everything. And um, by it we are made wise. By it we are corrected of our errors And, Lord God, it is this word that we uphold, not any preacher or any any teaching like this, but we uphold your word and the full counsel of your word. And I pray your word pricks the hearts of us all here uh, that we would walk in truth and that we would know truth. And those here, Lord God, that aren't found in you, they know who they are and you know who they are. I pray, Lord God, that you'd prick their heart and show their need for him, for the Savior. That they would not be able to get it out of their mind. That when they lay down tonight to sleep on their pillow, they wouldn't be able to rest. Lord, please see your work through as you have promised. We trust in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.